Hey everybody, how you doing? Um, we uh, we have a great podcast that uh, I'm gonna get to in about three minutes. Uh, Spencer Perlman, front office eye, goes through a lot of Knicks prospects, and uh, it's really good. It's really informative, and you're gonna enjoy it. Um, before we get to that, though, I wanted to say something real quick on something that came out a few days ago, and I didn't comment on it on Twitter because. It's just not the type of thing that I wanted to comment on in 280 characters. Um, and I just wanted to touch on it briefly now. Um, so the Knicks had their their Steve Mills press conference, I guess you'd say, whatever you want to call it, a few days ago. And um, the Daily News, specifically Steph Bondi, was not allowed in. And I just, you know... If you've listened to me for a while, if you followed me, like I clearly, clearly, clearly am someone who wants to believe that the organization has like turned a corner from some of the stuff in the past. I mean, I did a whole podcast with Howard Beck specifically trying to basically cross-examine him into like admitting like, hey, things are, things are, are better now and they're going to be all right. And, um... You know, that was a bad look. That was a bad look. And I just, and this has nothing to do with Steph Bondi. Like, <laughs> I, I, my mother told me, if you can't say nice, nothing, anything nice about someone, don't say anything. So I'm not going to say anything nice about Bondi. But, like, that's not the point. The point is that, like, and again, if, if it's not, <laughs> this isn't a First Amendment issue because it's, we're not talking about the government here. We're talking about the Knicks. They could do whatever they want. It's just a bad look. And I just kind of wanted to say that, you know, that's really frustrating to me as a fan to know that they did that. Um, Not only because it's like just not the right thing to do, but it's also because like there's such a smarter way to handle it. Like, okay, the Daily News came out with a back cover whatever it was the day after the Dolan interview um, with like a caricature of Dolan saying, sell it, sell the team. And is that absolutely like a classic tabloid shitty below the belt thing to do? Yeah, it absolutely is. But guess what? That's what New York tabloids have been doing for years now. And like, do you know what the way to handle that was? If you're the Knicks, the way to handle that was to then take a full page ad out in the next day's daily news and say we were, or like James Dolan personally, write a letter. I was personally offended by your back page, but um, I'm all for increasing and not decreasing the conversation. So I will, I would invite you to come and interview me and ask me about anything you want on the record. Um, and let's actually talk about this like men, um, as opposed to um, you putting a childish cartoon on the back of your paper. And like, that's what they should have done. And instead it's let's block Steph Bondi, which is like the height of irony that, you know, Dolan, this guy who everybody says is um, just riding on his dad's coattails, giving credibility to a guy in Bondi who has spent his entire career trying to escape the fact that he is riding on his dad's coattails in this business. And you know what, James, guess what you did? You gave that guy validity and like, he doesn't deserve it. And you gave it to him because the worst thing you could do um, to, or I should say the best thing you could do for a journalist is prevent them from having access because it makes them look, you know, a lot better than maybe they should. Um, That's it. I just, you know, <laughs> James Dolan on the sub 0.1% chance you're listening to this. Can you just maybe, you know, start to do it a little bit better. Think these things through sometimes. It's just, it's frustrating. Um, you know, I'm always going to be a Nick fan. Nothing, nothing that the organization does will ever change that. But I just, I couldn't let this opportunity pass without saying something and I don't think it's going to affect the basketball team one bit, but you know, it is what it is. So it's frustrating and I wish it didn't happen. Um, all right, that's it. 
let's actually get to the podcast and uh, Spencer Perlman. Hey there, Knicks fans. How are you? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for a special holiday edition of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, we are broadcasting right now. It is uh, Christmas Eve. It is a rainy Christmas Eve. I just went for a walk to put my daughter to sleep. It is kind of shitty out. Um, you know, hopefully the, the rain changes to some snow at some point today. Not too much snow, a little bit of snow. Um, but, you know, we are nothing here at uh, Nick's Film School, if not cognizant of the fact that, you know, come the holidays, you have to escape your your family obligations for a little bit. So we figured we'd record a podcast on a topic that is going to become much more interesting for Knicks fans um, if it has not already, and that is NBA Draft Prospects. And here to talk about that is someone with a whole lot more knowledge about these kids than I have, uh, and that is Spencer Perlman. You know him on Twitter as the front office eye. Spencer, how you doing, man? I'm good. Good. How are you? I'm I'm good. Um, you know, I got a family thing to do tonight. I have a family thing to do tomorrow. That's you know, when you were raised Catholic and it's this time of year. That's that's really what it comes down to. It's just it's family bullshit. That's I plan on seeing Aquaman for the second time tomorrow, so I'm very busy as well. Um, I would just ask you to do me the courtesy of not asking me on air which I would rather be doing, seeing Aquaman or what I'm actually going to be doing. I feel like you already gave us your answer. I didn't actually, though. Um, <laughs> a, a good lawyer can always argue his way out of uh, pretty much anything, as you as you well know. Yeah. Um, so, look, we're here to talk about the draft. Um, I had you on, I guess it was, what, about a month, month and a half ago, something like that? Yeah. And, um, like, I guess the the... You, like everybody else at that time, basically agreed that there was a top four, but you had one guy in a tier of your own, and uh, that young man's name is Zion Williamson. Yes, sir. And so I will start off by asking you, and I, I know the answer because I follow you on Twitter, um, but is he still in a tier of, your, of, of his own for you? If anything, he's distancing himself from the second person even more. Or the, the consensus second person, we'll say that. I, I knew, and we're going to get to that too. Um, so let's do this. You had, I guess, some concerns about Zion coming into the year. Um, what has the year so far done to uh, assuage your concerns, uh, deepen them? I'm assuming it's not deepen them because he's he's raised up. So yeah, what, what's changed since a month and a half ago? Um, nothing, I guess, really, you know, coming into the season, I was weary of his jump shot and his jump shot is still non-existent pretty much, except for, you know, he'll hit one, three, every six or seven attempts, whatever. I think he's three for 20 on the air. Um, aside from that, I mean, he's better than I thought he was going to be defensively. You know, I watched all of his AAU games and as anyone who's played AAU AAU or watched any AAU basketball, you realize that defense is essentially non-existent. So coming into the season, I was iffy. Um, but you know, the conversation that I had with Clarence Gaines, he's he's a huge fan of him on defense, and I myself am a huge fan of him on defense as well. And I mean, you know, the finishing, the athleticism, everything else just speaks for itself, really. Um, I I remember we had a conversation about him last time, and it focused on his being able to effectively guard wings. Um, do you feel like now that you've seen a little bit more of him play at Duke, do you think that that's more of a possibility for him at the next level? Yeah, just not like, I mean, if he stays his current weight, I don't think he'll be able to guard the majority of, well, I don't think he'll be able to guard explosive wings. Um, very quick twitch athletes. I mean, as quick twitch as he is, the guys who are full time playing small forward and shooting guard, they're still a little bit quicker. Um, but if he is able to get down to that 255, 260, maybe 265 instead of 275 or 280 where he's at now, I think he'll be able to play, not not play small forward, um, but he'll be a full switch guy, essentially. Um, and, you know, at the game against Texas Tech, he was matched up with Jared Culver a couple times. 
And Culver, well, I know you're a big fan of his. Uh, I love his game. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Culver's not the most athletic guy. He's that crafty scorer in the Karis Levert, uh, Brandon Roy type. You know, he's not going to wow you, but he's going to get to his spots. And he's going to do what he wants. And Zion just shut him down on one possession, and he stayed in the stance. He did everything he wanted a defensive player to do, and that made me, like, feel a lot more comfortable with him guarding wing players in isolation. Um, I know, like, Knicks fans are so super excited about Zion, and as they should be for the reasons that we don't need to talk about, because we all have eyes and we all could see see what he could do. Um, I want to throw a little bit of <laughs> cold water on, on this, and, and it, you talked about it already. I don't, listen, I don't watch college because I don't have time to with everything that I'm doing with the Knicks and, and Knicks Film School and trying to catch other NBA games, but, like... I feel like sometimes when these like ultra special athletes come along, we tend to overlook like a potential flaw that could really rear its head at the next level. And for me, like if you're telling me that you're drafting number one overall, a guy who is going to play some like probably power forward, you know, he's, he's probably not going to be a full-time center. He's going to play some probably four is going to be his main spot. Like you just said, and he can't shoot or maybe won't be able to shoot like at a certain modicum of respectability. Like, why shouldn't I be worried about that a lot more? Um, so it's two things. One, I think that so he's a good free thrower. He's around seventy-one percent for power forward. It's pretty good. Okay. Uh, and his form is actually much better shooting free throws than it is anywhere else. If you watch it in slow motion, I think. In, in the 10-minute video, I put up all nine of his makes or 10 of his free-throw attempts, which is probably too many to put in a video, but I did anyway. Um, if you actually watch his form, is there's a full release, you know, similar to the Kevin Knox. When, when Knox was fully releasing and his, extended, his arm was fully extended, the shot went in at a much higher clip. And Zion's free-throws are like that, which gives me hope that if he's able to translate that form to catch and shoot, he could maybe hit that low 30 mark, which is huge for a big. Um, but in terms of like, well, I guess if he can't do that, which is maybe the more likely scenario, you can still create space by cutting and, you know, going back door on players and, you know, if he's playing the four with KP, KP spreading the court anyway. Okay. So it's not like you're going to have two guys clogging the paint like we've seen with, you know, Mitch and Mitch and Cantor or, you know, well, Vonley has been spacing more, I guess. Um, but I really don't think the spacing is going to be an issue there or his lack of shot. And going back to AAU, terrible catch-and-shoot player. He was a better off-the-dribble player. And same thing with the form. It just looked a lot smoother. And I guess that makes sense because of rhythm and, you know, you're not just kind of waiting around. Um, but I have some hope that long-term, not, you know, next year and next two years, maybe five years down the road, he'll be a decent outside shooter, like respectable to where you can't just Sag off twenty feet as like if he's Jimmy long. Jimmy Butler esque type of deal. Um, I hope so. Okay, I mean Butler's work ethic is absurd. So <laughs> that's uh, fair. No, that's a, that's a fair. So is, would it be fair to say that you have no qualms if the Knicks win the lottery about taking Zion? No, Zion is. If the Knicks don't take Zion, I think a huge mistake. <laughs> okay. Um. Let's move on because I—I mean, look—I think everybody's on the the Zion train. I just—I kind of wanted to to pick at that shooting scab a little bit uh, just for some fun. You said that um, you the number you referenced the number two on everybody's board, which I'm assuming you're talking about R.J. Barrett, correct? Unfortunately, yes. And why is that unfortunately for you? I don't think he's particularly good. Oh my god! Wow, that's harsh. Yeah, like he'll score the ball and he'll score it very inefficiently. He won't see the court well. Like, if you're drafting someone to put points on the board, all right, I understand that. But if you're drafting someone to impact the game, uh, both with the ball and without it, and be a team-first guy, he's not really that type of player. So when I when I hear you say that, um, aside from visions of, like, Tim Hardaway Jr. a little bit, I'm trying to think of, like, the most efficient version of that player that's in the NBA right now. Um and like, are we talking about like Zach Levine level tunnel vision, or you know, better or worse than that? I mean, wh- how how bad is it is it going to be? I, well, 
I think Zach's a, he's a better passer than he gets credit for. Like he's not, you know, a dumpster fire. He's he's a dumpster. Yes. <laughs> he's um, just a regular stinky dumpster. Okay. Yeah, but like I'm trying to think, you know, at Demar Derozan like four or five years ago before he started passing, just that kind of player. Oh wow, that bad. Okay. Yeah, and the thing that worries me is that if he reaches that Derozan level of scoring the ball. He's going to have to take up a lot of shots because his jumper is, you know, as bad as DeRozan is from three, his mid-range is money. And sure, he, you know, he was that raw prospect coming out of USC. He was the hyper-athlete. His form was never really going to stop him from becoming a good, at least, mid-range jump shooter just because it was, you know, it was a clean release. Uh, There's, like, very few moving parts. Um RJ doesn't really have that in the mid-range. He doesn't really create enough space. It's a, not a slower release, but it's like a lower release coming from the left hand. And I mean, I guess you know, with the modern NBA, you really just want paint and threes. And if he can, if RJ can get there, that's great. I don't think he can get there from three, and his free throw percentage also kind of goes that way as well. It kind of points to him not really becoming a good shooter. So it so, sounds, it sounds like you're saying that. Unlike Zion, if RJ can't be a plus three-point shooter, it affects his value a great deal? Yeah, because he'll get into the paint, and he is very strong getting into the paint. But I think I said this last time, he lacks wiggle. And the more games you watch him, especially against the top teams, you realize that, A, he can't finish in the paint. He doesn't explode well in the paint. And C, he doesn't see the corners. So once he's getting into the paint, the driving kick is pretty much just non-existent. Um. By the way, just really quick to go, you just reminded me of it, to go back to Zion, when, because he obviously gets into the paint seemingly at will, how's his passing once he kind of penetrates the defense? It's good. I mean, he'll make the right basketball decision. And for him, most of the time, it's just going up. And if he misses, he's got a super quick jump and then super quick third jump. Um, but he's not going to force shots that he shouldn't force. And I think that's perfect next to KP and... You know, whoever else. I guess Timmy, if he's still here, uh, Knox. You know. don't, don't don't put don't put that out into the universe. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm, well, I, I'm I'm off the Timmy train. <laughs> um. So real quick before we move on from RJ, what the hell is everybody else missing? His or, back. Or, or, sorry, what? Yeah, it's his background. You know, he led Canada uh, to beat the U.S. and there was a loaded U.S. team with Cam Reddish and. Javon Quinterly, I think Quinterly was Quinterly was on the team, uh, but it was a very good U.S. team, and uh, he beat them. Um, and you know they, they'll see the points, they see that Kobe mentality, which he definitely has. But Kobe mentality without the Kobe skill is <laughs> right. Yeah, no, say no more. I'm I'm not a I'm not a huge uh, Kobe guy. Um, and, and it's it, it, like people talk about like Frank being a, a divisive figure and like before him, like mellow, I low key think like Kobe Bryant is the most divisive, divisive figure in the history of basketball. Because to me, there's like some people out there who compare someone to Kobe and it's like obviously the greatest compliment. And then right. there are other people who would throw out his name and it's like kind of a low key insult. And, and yeah. that's, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you have the the number two pick in the draft. You're the you're the GM of the Knicks. Uh, Scott Perry has said, "F this, I'm going to sit on a beach in Hawaii. I don't feel like dealing with this crap anymore." Uh, who is your pick? I'm picking Jared Culver. Wow. Okay, yeah. so you're gonna have to. So Jared Culver, um, shooting guard, at Texas Tech. He is um, unlike the Duke guys. This is his second year. He's fairly low on a lot of boards right is that fair to say um and most people have them in like the mid to late lottery so not late lottery but like that six to i guess 10 12 range okay uh, and like i myself had i mean before the season he was at that 14 to 16 mark and now he's all the way up to number two and, so. and why is that what what changed for you since you started watching the season um so i was worried about his, the form and his jumper because last year it was pretty bad, and he reworked it basically completely, and it's beautiful now. Um, well, it's not beautiful; it's good. It, it looks, um, it looks much more fluid. Looks like he'll probably probably be able to shoot a bit, not only off the dribble, which he's shown, but also maybe off some screens, um, and just 
he improved in every possible way. Like his points per 40 are up by nine points. His assists are up by 3.2. His turnovers are only up by one. His rebounding is up. His shooting is all up. Um, and he's doing this all while being a good defender and being the only offensive weapon that Texas Tech really has as a creator. So he's taking on this huge offensive role. Um, he's being super efficient with it, but he's not, he's not like, He's, he doesn't have that Kobe mentality. He's not forcing stuff he's not supposed to be forcing. He's well, I'm, I'm looking at he has an assist rate of 28.4 as of like a week ago or two weeks ago. That's what he had. So he's he's passing it a fair amount, it seems. 31.7 now with a 13.8 turnover percentage. Like Jesus, that's good. Okay. Ridiculous. Um, and, he, you know, he steps up in the big games. Everyone saw him play against Duke, and he killed it. Um you know, I think he missed two open layups. Otherwise, he would have had like 34, I think, points maybe. Um, but he's that team first guy who just does everything you want. He's not going to make like a stink about anything, and he seems to be a very hard worker. So you're making you're making him out to seem kind of like well, other than the worker part, because I don't I don't know about that for R.J. Barrett, but you're making him kind of seem like the opposite of R.J. in, in several ways. If Karis Levert were on Duke, Duke would be a better team. If Karis, wait, wait, if Karis, sorry, Le- Karis Levert, sorry, Karis if Jared, Le- like, if yeah. Culver, <laughs> yeah, Jared Culver, Karis Levert, someone who I think he plays similar to. If Jared Culver were on Duke, Duke would be a better team. Wow. Okay. Um. And I guess similar question before we move on from him. What? Why are people so slow to elevate him in their in their lottery standings? He's not on TV that much. So you know, aside from the people in the draft community who have actually moved him up to that three to five range most people aren't seeing him on seeing him on espn very often he's not like you know gonna make these huge dunks he just kind of goes about his business um i mean texas tech isn't really a basketball school like aside from last year when they had zaire and culver no one really paid attention to them i guess uh just sort of that football school um so i think maybe that's why but i'm willing to bet by the end of the season most people have him in their top five and i'd like, I don't gamble at all. I'd be willing to put money on him being selected in the top five. Wow. Okay. Um, so, that, so that well, if we could assume that RJ is going to be selected in the top five, and you're saying Culver's going to be selected in the top five, right now, who are your next two guys who you would peg to, to flush out the rest of that top five? Um, I mean, I think it's going to be John Morant. Okay. I. I was I was wondering when we were going to get to him. Okay, uh, and who's the other one? That's tough. So I mean, yeah, well, let's. So is the other one much more team dependent on who ends up getting there? Yeah, like I can see maybe Hunter going five. I can see Cam Reddish if he kills it in workouts because he's going to have to the way he's played this year, which has been very disappointing to me. And well, you know. let's talk about let's talk about Ja and let's talk about Cam because I think those are the other two names that. At least judging from from Nick's Twitter, I'm seeing people getting excited about. Um, this was another one who I think could rise in the draft process. But who's he's that? Nasir Little. Okay. Yeah, um, he's one who's been in a rough situation at UIC. So um, it seems like, again, I am fully admitting I don't have time to watch hardly any college ball, but it seems like just from reading the, the blogosphere, um, Nasir Little and Cam Reddish have kind of had down years and the mm-hmm. guys who have helped themselves the most are, like you said, Zion and Ja Morant. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, so what – or do you like Ja as much as everybody else seems to all of a sudden? Or are you kind of – where are you at on him? I like him. I don't love him. Um, you know, he's definitely a very quick player. He gets into the paint pretty well. His on-ball defense is pretty good. And then – when you start to actually look beyond the box score stats, it's it's not really that great. Like he's a terrible off ball defender. Like I really can't stress that enough. He's he just doesn't care. He doesn't care about closing out. He's not good positionally. He's atrocious off ball. Um, Is that a like, do we have any sense of where that? Because like haven't we seen terrible defenders in college that have the physical physical ability and then you get them in the right you know, NBA program and that improves. Is is there any hope of that for him? Yeah. I mean, if you can light a fire under him and you can actually get him to pay attention off ball, sure. But 
at the same time, what if you can't? Then, you know, in addition to his other issues, what what are the other issues? <laughs> I mean, his he's not a good shooter. Just period. Like I posted something on Twitter yesterday, going down, breaking down his uh, his shooting form a little bit. He has a double elbow flare. Like both of his elbows flare out when he shoots, and it's a two handed shot. It's very similar to Dennis Schroeder or Schroeder. Ooh, ugh. And Schroeder, you know, he's an eighty three percent free throw shooter who shoots low thirties from three. And if Morant gets to low thirties from three at any point in his career, that'll be a huge win, I think. Um, it's I think that bad. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, and I think what separates the good players from the great players is their ability to shoot off the dribble. And he he's six of twenty seven on the year this year, and he wasn't particularly. I think last year he was like four of twenty three or four of eighteen off the dribble. So it's not something he has in his repertoire. Um, so I mean, look, Morant's. He's. I think he's going to be a fine player. He's. He's, a, he's quick. He gets in the paint a bit. You know, his finishing is hit or miss, but he has some pretty good vision. Um, but if I were, had to select the point guard, I'm picking Darius Garland. And like I know, you know, I spoke with someone a week and a half ago or two weeks ago in like the NBA circle, um, and he said that teams are definitely very high on Garland. The only issue is the meniscus tear. Yeah, so he's out for the year. Just for people who don't know, he's the Vanderbilt uh, guard. Um... And so the fact that he's out for the year, how much is that going to hurt his his draft stock? Um, I mean, he he definitely should like talent wise. I think he's a top five player in the draft or top six player in the draft. Um, it's just whether or not he's going to come back from the meniscus tear. And from what I understand, if you remove it, it's better for you. But like long term, ten fifteen years down the road, it could not be good for you. So if you want someone for ten years. Get Garland, and I mean, I I don't I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I'm terrible with sciences, also. You're not? I thought you were. I was under I was under a false impression. Um. So okay. So we have Hunter and and um John Morant, and I I have a funny feeling by the time the draft comes around, we may be having some conversations about. Uh, to, stop me if you've heard this one before. Do the Knicks need to draft the point guard? Um, I'm hoping not. Uh, but putting that aside, so with Morant, you're, it sounds like you're not as high as everybody else. If I, if I had to pick a point guard, I'm picking Darius Garland, and I'm not looking back. Okay. Um, let's hit the, the other two guys who were uh, everybody's consensus top four coming into the year, Cam Reddish and um, Nasir Little. Out of those two, who's had the more disappointing year? Uh, the correct answer would be yes. <laughs> All right. Um, it's pretty bad. It's for like different reasons, though. So what? Are, okay. So what are the reasons that are uh, that should potentially scare a team who's looking to make a, a long term investment in one of these guys? So I guess with Cam, uh, his form is still not consistent. You know, in high school, it was like every third shot he had to have a different release, and that's obviously not good. Um, and then it's his mentality. You know. As I said in the last podcast, I think he's the most talented player in terms of overall skill in the draft. But his his mindset is closer to that of a Nicholas Batum than, you know, even a borderline all-star. Um, so I, I think it's really just his willingness to step back to be the third, the fourth, or maybe even the fifth guy on offense instead of really taking charge. That's what's well, going on. Well, let me, let me push back on this a, a a tad because isn't that what some people said about Kevin Knox last year when he was at Kentucky or am yep. I misreading that? No, you're hundred percent right. Like I said the same thing and that's what worried me about Knox and I was very wrong about that. And I'm very happy I was wrong about that. But the difference between what Cam did is Cam is doing now and what Knox did is that in high school, Knox was still very aggressive. Cam uh, Reddish was not like there were games in AAU where he would just take off and, he didn't care. And I mean, AAU's fun. Everyone who plays AAU has fun. Why aren't you trying to like show out a bit and get on hoop mixtape or ball is life or something? Like, <laughs> um, Could it be that he's like, listen, I'm sharing the core with Zion. I'm sharing the core with RJ. I'm going to kind of let them have theirs. But then I guess if you say that, then because there's always going to be talented players on, on your team. And the last thing the Knicks want to do is draft a guy who's going to like, you know, defer to Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, right. Not to... <laughs> not to shit all over Tim, but sorry. Um, 
Okay, so that's a fair criticism. So it's you would say it's more uh, above the above the neck issue with Cam than anything else. Yeah, I mean he still has issues finish, finishing in the paint, and for mid range he's he's got basically no game. But if he had, so I mean I wanted him to go to work at school where he can be the guy, where he can be the number one option, because I think that would have been best for his mindset and for him taking advantage of his skills and all that. Um, so yes, I, I do think it is mostly above the uh, above the shoulders <laughs> um nasir little uh small forward north carolina um the other one of the the fab frosh uh for some the only one that doesn't go to duke um i know he's had a bad year as well why why has he kind of fallen off so i think he's had a bad year because he's just not really sure how he's supposed to be playing um you know he's playing in a very upperclassman heavy team with roy williams and Roy's kind of yanking his minutes around and he's playing him three minutes here, six minutes there. He's playing him like, you know, the last 10 minutes of the game. Then he's not playing him the first like 12th of the next game. Um, so I, I think it's really just like a role. He's not really sure how he fits in. And well, at least offensively. Then defensively, he's just not caring as much as he did in the past. And that's what really endeared me to him was he took pride in defense. And it seemed like that has taken a step back a bit. Huh, that's a little worrisome. Yeah. Uh, um, okay, so uh, I guess I guess the best question to ask is for your personal Knicks board, based on what the Knicks have and and where they are, and you know what they need moving forward. Um, let's put aside like Kevin Durant because if Kevin Durant you know indicates he wants to come here, I guess it, it changes how they'll look. But given the pieces they have right now and the pieces they're likely to retain moving forward. After Zion and Culver, um, is the third guy that you're taking someone we've already talked about, or is it someone we haven't? Yeah, it would probably be between Garland. I'm assuming Morant would be in there also, just because of how people view him, um, at least how I think Nick fans view him, although that shouldn't weigh in any decision the front office makes. <laughs> um, so I think it'd be between those two, and then I do think Nasir and Cam will be in there. It's just, you know, do you want the point guard? Do you want the wing? And I do think Little will play a lot better in the pros where there's more space. Okay. So it's positive. Um, but, you know, if you don't get that, basically, like, you know, if I were the GM and if I don't have even the top three pick, I'm, I'm rolling the dice and seeing, you know, what I can do. Okay. Um, I... I think we mentioned Bull Bull's name in the first podcast we do we did, and that was before seeing, in my opinion, uh, Mitch Robinson basically turn himself from like project. Maybe if you squint hard enough, he's an asset into someone that I think the Knicks have to factor into their future in a very legitimate way. So, is there any way? Is there any reason we need to talk about Bull Bull for the Knicks? For the Knicks, no. He's fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, do you think he's going to be a good pro? Uh, I think he'll be okay. Like, his frame still worries me. The guy has incredibly high hips. He's very thin in the upper body, and he twisted his ankle. Or he has a foot injury that's kept him out a few games. And I mean, his he's being pushed underneath so easily. And I know the NBA is not a post-up game anymore, but... If you if you have an advantage, you attack it, and if that's in the post, you're going to attack the post. Um, so I mean, there are definitely there are definitely some things I'd be concerned about if I were drafting him. But then the flip side, he's an unbelievable shooter. Yeah, and he's and he's seven two, and he's like whatever a twelve foot wingspan. Um, yeah. So someone will have some fun with him. All right, so I want to hit um, three more categories. Um, so exciting top of the lottery players we haven't talked about. Um, kind of stealthy, more under the radar lottery players, and then just some some lower key guys that that you happen to like. So first of those categories, um, the two other names that I feel like get talked about a lot in terms of potential, like they could rise near the top of the lottery, are Kevin Porter, uh, the shooting guard, small forward, freshman from USC, and then Romeo Langford. Um, do either of those guys particularly excite you? I think Porter does. Um, at least a little bit more than Romeo. You know, he has some wiggle in his game. He's a pretty good shooter right now, uh, but he's also hurt, and we haven't really seen him in a month. So it's hard, I guess, to base everything on 
six games. That's what he's played. Yeah, six games. But, you know, again, I love Darius Garland, and Garland's played four games and two minutes in the fifth. So, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I do like Porter. Uh, I like his step back. His step back is NBA ready now. It's just, it's NBA ready from like an 18 to 20 foot range instead of the 20 to like 25 foot range. Okay. Um, yeah. Is. So Romeo Langford's a guy I feel like some people are again this is just from scrolling through Twitter. I feel like some people are like obsessed with Romeo Langford. Like why why is that? Um I mean he's got a good name, but <laughs> he's, he's skilled on offense too. Like he's a three-level scorer. No, he's like a two and a half level scorer cuz his three-point shot is bad at the moment and he needs to fix his form also. It's I mean as you, I like a lot. I care a lot about form. Like I'm very detail oriented, and um, I don't like Romeo's form very much. But he finishes in the paint very well. He is very strong in the upper body and lower body. Uh, his defensive positioning off ball has been very good. But then he's also losing his man off ball, which is a little bit weird. Um, he's, he's good isolation player. I mean, he's a good offensive and defensive player with some issues that he has to work on like you know he, he's that safe in that marshawn brooks you know kind of what you're going to get uh but with better defense i i feel like i would not be jumping up and down if i'm a knicks fan and i just heard a marshawn brooks comp to a guy that could potentially get drafted by my team a better marshawn brooks with better defense is it's not maybe an all-star level player but it's a it's a solid one like you know he's not someone who i'd consider really in the top five but after you get outside of the top prospects, you know, maybe not six or seven either, but in that eight to 14, eight to 16 range, he's going to be talked about a lot. Well, the way this thing is heading, I, I can't, I don't think it's going to be mathematically possible for the Knicks to pick outside the, the top eight. Um, but who knows? You know, n- n- never know what happens towards the end of the year. Um, Seems like they always fall at least one spot. So, <laughs> like, well, that, I mean, <laughs> These lottery, the, the lottery stuff is scary because, like, Change. the fact that you could finish with the third worst record and have like a really, really, really realistic shot at like the sixth or the seventh pick on the draft, mm-hmm. like that's not even gonna. I, I I don't know the the numbers off the top of my head, but that that wouldn't be crazy at all. Um, of of out of curiosity, out of Porter and Langford, if one of those two guys ended up in the top five by the end of the year, who would you bet on it being? Porter. Porter, okay. Yeah, he's uh, an athlete. Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, two. Okay, second category. Two other guys who I feel like get their names get tossed around in near the top of the draft, but like I feel like there's significant questions about both are um, Rui Hachimura and then Sekou Dumboya. Dum, Dumbaya? Did I say that right? Dumbaya? I just say Sekou. Sekou, great. <laughs> Sounds good. So um, I feel like for about half of Knicks Nation, uh, Sekou will uh, be a little bit of a trigger because, hey, guess what? He's uh, from France. And he uh, played the U18s with uh, Frank. With Frank. Um, so of those, I, I mean, I see them all all over draft boards. Um, I remember Sekou was like in one person's like top five at the beginning of the year. Um, are either of those guys particularly exciting to you? I think Sekou more... Then Rui, just because Rui's defense and passing ability is non-existent. Um, like I said this yesterday on a different podcast I did, that it's sort of Jabari-esque. In that, oh, oh that, man, you are throwing out some comps today, man. I mean, he's not as he's not as explosive as Jabari, and I don't think he's going to be as bad a defender. And there could still be some. Well, thank uh, God for small miracles. <laughs> There could still be some like learning that he. Ha- I mean, he definitely has to learn more about you know the NBA game. But we're talking his- about Rui here, right? Yeah, Rui. Yeah. Damn. I I, I just uh, for I guess this is my my bias. When I hear Gonzaga, I'm like, oh great, those guys like will come in and they know how to do all of like the little things. But you're you're painting a di- little bit of a different picture. Yeah, he's much more offensive oriented. Like on the flip side, though, he's taken a pretty big step on offense where he's now the focal point essentially of Gonzaga and his jump shot looks a lot better even if the arc's not really there uh he's taking more threes he's hitting more threes but the volume's not there um and like if you want to see a a player seal your man or his man behind him on the roll Rui does that I think better than most college basketball players like period 
um, he's he's aggressive, and I like that. So there's a there's a positive. <laughs> but it it sounds like we're talking about probably like an off the bench scorer at the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then Dumbaya Seku, sorry, um, <laughs> is he? So he's like bigger, right? Like physically, he's six nine, but he also profiles as like a small forward. Is that right? Uh, I think if they're trying to, um, yeah, I mean, he's a power forward to me. He's like a switchable guy, really. Uh, okay. His offensive game is pretty rough. Like he doesn't really finish very well. Um, he's a bad shooter at the moment and doesn't really finish in the paint. So he's really someone you're going to want on that low usage, just defense, uh, defense first guy. It sounds like you described just now a, a Pascal Siakam level prospect. Is that fair to say? Yep. So I was actually talking with um, Javier Pesquera uh, on Twitter, and he thinks that if Seku hits his peak, it's going to be more of a Siakam type, which I can absolutely agree. I can absolutely agree with, and I can see that. Um, I think a realistic low end comparison um, is like if he never hits his jump shot, will be an Alfred Camino without the jump shot, which hmm. it's a, you know it's a switchable defender. It's still an impactful player. Um, although Seku still has to get stronger, um, but maybe not in the top five. But you know, again, outside that six, from six on, he's someone I would consider just because his defensive potential is so high. He might still be growing, and he turned eighteen, I think, three weeks ago or a month ago. So he's still hmm. super young. Okay. Um, okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, so Rui, that would be a very good player. <laughs> I got yeah no it sounds like if you could combine them that would be great. Um, okay, so then last last category. Well, I don't know. I would I was gonna sit, move on to our last category players that are kind of lower on draft boards that that you're particularly excited about. And I'm realizing that um, DeAndre Hunter uh, is someone that I was about to put in that category. But are we doing DeAndre Hunter a disservice by putting him um, that low? Are we talking like late lottery or outside lottery? Because I think he's a lot of lock. Okay, so well, why don't we just talk about him? What I because you're high on Hunter, right? Yep, yep, I am. So, so uh, he's a sophomore, of Virginia. Uh, he, I believe, when we talked last time, he wasn't starting for them still. Oh no, he was. He was okay. Maybe it, it was just like he wasn't playing as big a role in their offense. Am, am I? I'm vaguely recalling something about this. I could be making it up though. Yeah, like he's not their most. He's not their offensive focal point, and he won't be an offensive focal point in the NBA either. But he's a purely switchable guy. Like he is, he can easily switch one to three. Um, and once he gets stronger, and I think he will, I think he's got a very good frame. I think he'll be able to switch to the four, and then maybe in time play some small ball five. Like his defense is still absurd. Um, his three point shooting has gotten a lot better. He's taking more and. His passing, he's still put. He's putting the ball on the floor a little more than he was doing last year. He's a very smart player. You know, he's coming from that UVA defense first, team first attitude, and like I love him. Like I think he's going to be a very good pro. So this again, I'm just thinking back to like last year or the last couple of years. What you just described to me sounds a lot like what people were saying about Mikal Bridges. Is that comp off? Um. I don't think Mikhail's going to be like a one-to-four switch guy. I think he's more of a Robert Covington. Um, which, Hunter is more of a Robert Covington. Yeah, like a souped-up Robert Covington, which is actually also my high-end comparison for Mikhail Bridges. But I think I think Hunter's defensive potential is higher than Bridges. Um, if Yeah, his defensive potential is higher than Bridges was, but Bridges' offensive potential was higher than Hunter's is. Okay, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, I mean, just from <laughs> from what I could tell from uh, reading the the interwebs here. Um, okay, so other guys that you're like particularly high on that maybe because like so right now the Knicks they do have a second round pick. Um, it, it's unclear where it's going to be because it's I think going to be the the worst pick out of like three different ones of I, I want to say Houston and maybe two other teams, Orlando and I'm forgetting. Um, and you know what, there's always the possibility that they could acquire, um, another second round or potentially in a trade at some point, who's just another guy or another two guys who you like particularly like for whatever reason that maybe are not going to be lottery guys that could fall a little bit. 
Okay. Um, so I guess for second round players or late first, early to mid second, I like Eric Pascal on Villanova. Okay. Six eight. He's a strong defender. He actually started at Fordham, I think, and then he transferred to Villanova. Yeah. How are we doing? F you. Uh mater. <laughs> he like he's a good defender. He's he's actually pretty damn athletic too. Um he's that typical Villanova, just you know, same thing as uh, DeAndre Hunter. He's a team first guy, he's a defensive guy. Um I think he's gonna be a good small ball power forward. Okay. Um, so he's someone who's projected to go somewhere around the early second round. Uh, who else? I'm a big fan of Adam Makoka, who's playing out in uh, he's playing out for Mega Bmax, six um, five shooting guard with some playmaking ability off the dribble. He's he's a three and D guy basically, um, and I think he could be a potential target if the Knicks end up trading one of their wings, such as Damian Dotson, which I don't think they should do. But if they end up trying to relieve some cap space or need some cap space, I think he can definitely be involved in that deal, and he'd be a good consolation prize there. Okay. Then uh, two more quick guys. Admiral Schofield out of Tennessee. The guy plays with, like, like, he plays with an FU attitude, and he plays angry, he plays hard, he talks a lot of trash, and he backs up all of his trash talk. Uh Six I like five. it. Yeah, like he's he's that PJ Tucker type of player. Um, just think of like that, but with a better offensive game at the same point. Uh, and then Grant Williams, who's also from Tennessee, he's probably actually going to end up somewhere in the first round. But right now, the mocks have him in like that forty to fifty range, and some big boards have him actually down to like sixty-seven uh, or seventy. And he's six-eight, good defender. He's a very good passer. Um, very high IQ guy, team guy. Seems like a nice guy actually on the court. I've seen him knock over opposing players and help him back up. Huh? You know, people like that. There's that too. Uh, All right. But yeah, I, I mean, listen, sportsmanship. It's 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 an under under emphasized part of our of our society. We need to bring back sportsmanship. I think that's that's a big deal. Great. People aren't talking about enough. Um. Okay, let's close with this. Last two questions, and it may be guys that you've you've mentioned already. Who's the guy that everybody else is high on that you just absolutely don't get why they're so high on, and uh, vice versa? Who's the guy that like nobody is high on at all that you just don't don't get why they're not high on? And it could again, it could be someone that we've already talked about. Uh, I guess the first one would, I mean, R.J. Barrett. Like, I'm, I just don't think he's the consent. I think he probably will be the second overall pick. For better or for worse, I just don't think he should be. Okay. And then Rui also for that same question. I think he's more of a 14 at, at basically the earliest type of player. Um, then two players who I – or I guess someone who I don't think is getting enough love is Casey Akpala, who's out of Stanford. He's 6'8", about 215-pound, shooting guard, small forward, pretty good defender. Um, does a little bit of everything on the court. And then John Tay Porter, who's actually missing the entire year, I think he's the highest IQ big in the draft. And he's the best passing big in the draft. He's probably the best shooting big in the draft, or maybe second behind Killian Tilly. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think he's going to end up in Boston. And as a Nick fan, I hate that. As a basketball fan, I love that because it's a perfect fit. Is So uh, Porter, obviously, is going to be uh... – a center at the next level is that someone that like if the Knicks acquired I don't know a pick around the area where it would make sense to get him do you is that the type of guy that you would just like say to hell with positional need and like you you just want to get that type of guy on your team yeah I mean I would figure it out later he's probably going to end up going somewhere in like the late lottery or maybe just outside the lottery huh okay he should be closer to that seven range six range Really? That high? Yeah. I, I, he was he was very good. I actually liked him a lot more than I did Michael Porter last year. So. Huh. Okay. <laughs> well, listen. This is why I love having you on, because you clearly um, give uh, no fucks about what anybody else has on their draft boards. You, you formulate <laughs> your own opinions. All the hot um, takes. What'd you say? All of the hot takes. 
<laughs> no, man. Listen, you have you. I, I I only have people on here who have have conviction in in what they say. Um, so thank you for giving us the time. Um, we're gonna do at least one. Well, realistically speaking, we'll probably do one more of these during the college season, and then I'm sure um, once the Knicks get their get their draft pick, uh, which I believe is like May 14th is the lottery. Um, then we'll we'll have you on again between then and uh, and the draft, assuming you're not working for an NBA uh, or some professional front office by then, which I would not discount uh, because you know your shit. Okay. Uh, anything you want to plug or uh, talk about before we go? Um, I mean, no, you know, I'm sure those of you who are listening, you've seen that I posted the 10 minute recap of Zion Williamson's game against Texas Tech, which is his first game ever in the Garden. Uh, it's a good, it's like a quick read, and then it's a 10 minute video. Uh, and then on Twitter at front office, I am constantly posting draft stuff and I'm going to start moving those actually onto Nick's film school. Uh, so there'll be more content on there. And aside from that, you know, that's it. Perfect. Um, thank you for spending some of your, your holiday day with us. And, uh, yes, we'll talk to you soon. And everybody out there, thank you so much for listening. Um, we were, we are going to have, um, I'm going to do a, a periscope after the Christmas day game tomorrow. And then I think we're going to do um, – I think we have two more podcasts later this week if everything goes according to plan. Uh, post game after the Thursday game and then another uh, surprise guest coming up in a few days. But thanks for listening. We hope everybody's holiday is wonderful and we will, of course, talk to you very soon. Peace.